0: Back to Soundboard. This is episode number six of the podcast, and it is my great pleasure to welcome Catherine with a K onto the show tonight. Now, Catherine is a local Chicago poet, and she has some just, just spellbinding performance work that she does as a as a as a stage poet as well as a page poet. Someone who does both performance poetry as well as publishing. And doing her own chapbook work uh, through print now our conversation today touches on some of the intersections and differences between uh, some of these different ways of presenting poetry as well as how someone <laughs> how we as young people come to terms with the experience of writing something and then growing and changing as a person which happens quite frequently and quite rapidly when you're young I mean I think that can happen in any terms but especially when you're young I would say and after having changed and and or gone through some serious or significant undertow as a person you can revisit pieces that you have already created and those pieces come with new meaning now one of the other reasons I'm very excited to welcome Catherine onto the show is that she's a good friend of mine and we have had a lot of discussions and a lot of sh- shared experiences with the DIY scene in Chicago as young writers and young artists. So please join me in welcoming onto the show, Catherine with a K. Oh, yeah.
1: It is about order, she thinks. The way in which you present the information is the way it will be processed. It is all a metaphor and we just keep forgetting the language. I am stuck relearning how to write in my own tongue. Everything stands for something else. Everything made of something smaller, the walls made up of ghosts and atoms. And we are crafting, sculpting our own stories out of agreed upon representation, zoomed out and in, at the same time, loose focus in order to become clear. And so, she sat and felt everything. How everything was made of something smaller and how it just keeps going on and on even when it is unbearable. Sometimes I think that if an alien came down to meet me and asked what life was, I'd say uncomfortable and sweaty. I'd say, I am this body, and this body is me, but I am a nervous person, and when I say nervous, I mean I am nothing but a system of electricity. There is what you are thinking, and then there is what you say. Two houses governed by the head, the heart, the same. I imagine him asking, how am I supposed to learn how to love you if you just keep leaving me? For once, I am at a loss for words. Me, I wake up every morning and ask myself, who will I fall in love with today? I smile at everyone who passes by because why not? Because we are just helping each other be born over and over because in this life, everything feels like a poem because each time I breathe, it is my first time filling these lungs with deep, bright air. That was blurred and blue, or there are two types of people in the world. People who do drugs and people who don't.
0: Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much you. for reading that.
1: Yeah, of course. That's some some new shit.
0: This is the perfect way to open up into some of what I wanted to talk about today with you. So we're here with Catherine with a K. <laughs> ah, it's so exciting to do this. This is this, yeah. is, this is this is this is this feels like some of the culmination of a long series of different interactions we've had about some of the poetry scene in the DIY scene that we've been around.
1: Yeah, definitely, and just the culmination of a friendship, too.
0: Precisely. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I want to start off with hearing a little bit more about the context of that poem that you just read. Oh, boy. And, you know, as specific or general as you want to be with that, and then kind of building out into some of the other work and kinds of work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so that poem was actually... um, kind of pieced together from a bunch of notes I took on one of my first trips that I went on.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I candy flipped with some friends.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And this was, I was like taking notes because I'm a a writer. So that's what I do. So I was taking notes (laughs) as it was happening. And it was really funny because as I was writing, my friends were like, I can't read that. Are you even writing words? (laughs) And I was just like hoping for the best that in the morning it would be legible. (laughs) And I remember waking up and just like piecing it together and like, and the title kind of came together mm. at the end as well. That's usually, I think the title gives the poem the most amount of context and mm-hmm. the title should give a piece um, information that the poem doesn't already give. And so I wanted to right. kind of save that for the end because I think it wraps it up in a nice bow.
0: I've always felt mm-hmm. a little bit like titles give, you know, so much to a piece, but, but one of the things that they give is scope. Yeah. A sense of perspective as well, mm-hmm. um, but not to the point where it's like kind of too much on the nose, and you can, you've already read the poem by reading the title.
1: Exactly, you like know? a poem about flowers, you aren't going to call it flowers; you call it something else. <laughs> right. That's something I would see in workshop all the time, and I would always yeah. comment, like, "I'm a big." If you've ever been in workshop with me, <laughs> it's a big title thing. Like I'm the yeah. first person to comment on the title.
0: Mm. So just just to refresh my mind and to refresh some of some of the other. You know experiences I've had with re- hearing about your work as well is is this piece specific to like an independent piece or is this part of a larger project
1: well it was an independent piece when I started writing it but I'm actually working on a manuscript right now oh wow yeah and so it's one of the key pieces in there it's one of the longer pieces that I'm working on and so I keep <laughs> editing it and so it's part of a bigger project that I'm working on
0: oh that's exciting can I hear a little bit about the project
1: yeah uh, yeah it's called moods and nudes <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, I think I have heard you say this. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, um, it was originally going to be called Annual, but I figured that was kind of boring. So I thought moods and nudes would be one, relatable, and two, alluring. (laughs) 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 Although maybe people would be a little disappointed when they read it. (laughs) No actual nudes.
0: (laughs) No actual. Well, I feel like writing about nudes, though.
1: Yeah, and like there's like nudes in a way that one, it's vulnerable, and two, it's about burying Mm. yourself. Yeah. And then also there's like plenty of talk about like I mean it's contemporary poetry you talk about sex quite a bit.
0: Right. Well, and I I've, I've always felt especially that you know one of the things that that poetry can present in a way that a lot of other forms cannot especially because it's written and it's not like illustrated is mm-hmm. that when you're touching on subjects like the body you're representing them in a way that's that's a little bit more distant because it's not like a picture of a naked body and it's also not an illustration per se. Yeah. Um, but using description, you you have this really fascinating relationship with the object or subject that you're engaging.
1: Yeah, and you get to make it something it's not. Right. It's not just this is what it is. It's not a picture. It's not an exact replica. It's a uh, uh, an impression.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I had. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a philosophy professor uh, define the practice of philosophy is pulling things into abstraction in order to understand them more clearly Mm. and I've always felt and I keep saying that because I don't know why it's hilarious I'm saying that (laughs) a lot but um, there's this distinct correlation between Philosophy, like the art of philosophy, the act of philosophy, and poetry.
1: Yeah, and I think good philosophy, good poetry, makes claims like philosophy does.
0: Exactly, and good philosophy is poetic.
1: True. True. You
0: know, there's a lot to there's it's about
1: manipulation of language.
0: Precisely, precisely. Have you read any Martin Heidegger, for instance?
1: Uh, I did. I took a class on existentialism, <laughs> um, but I don't really remember much about it.
0: Uh, I guess I'm not. I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to like unpack there because. You know, he's got, he comes from a really complicated and, and fucked up social background. Yeah. But the philosophy that he, you know, instituted was, like, literally changed the 20th century. Mm. Um, and one of the things that he, he speaks on is precisely this sense of language. And it's, it's hilarious because <laughs> he'll say something and then he'll say it again, you know, like a page or two later. But it will have a completely different meaning because he's worked through some of the nuances yeah. of it. So he talks about, like, nothingness. Mm-hmm. You know, for some of Because it's,
1: yeah, being in nothingness.
0: Being, yeah, being in nothingness. And then it, it's like, you know, he means one thing at the beginning of the sentence and then something else by the end of it. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's very complicated. Yeah, but, you know, all I mean by that is simply to point out that it's, it's poetic mm-hmm. in the sense that he's calling language into question and then by focusing so intently on either one or two points or just the kind of, like, the holistic, like, impression you have of the language yeah. to, to really impact or, or create create a, a sincere impression of something that's changing before your eyes, you know? Yeah. I, I've always felt like that's that's just such a cool relationship.
1: No, definitely it is. Yeah, and like some of the poetry that I've read, like Tracy K. Smith's Life on Mars, mm-hmm. like there's a big correlation between philosophy and poetry, and it's poetry oh, yeah. about philosophy and like what we mean. I think poetry that doesn't make a claim about what it means to be alive isn't real poetry.
0: Fucking thank you. (laughs) Really big thank you. You know, I want to kind of do some of these, you know, uh, workshop questions with you about, you know, your work and also some of the, you know, the details of that. But I also want to start asking questions with you, like, how do you define poetry? What is it to you to be a poet? And why are you doing what you're doing?
1: Yeah, uh, well, those are three separate questions. Exactly. Um, How do I define poetry? I think poetry is the manipulation of language Mm. to create something that wasn't there before. Mm. Um, and so you can't really define poetry by form because there's prose poetry. Mm-hmm. There's and then, like some flash fiction kind of verges into poetry as well. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty complicated to define poetry. And that was always like one of the first things that you would do in workshop is mm. what is a poem? That was always a professor's <laughs> favorite thing to do was define what is a poem? It's like a trick question. Oh, yeah. yeah. But like, what does it mean to be a poet? I think it means to live your words mm. and to um, like act them out and to embody what you mean in a way that goes past the page i think real poets aren't just page poets Mm. i think you have to um really act out your words as well Hmm. and that's why like i'm i'm a stage poet in the way that i perform um but i'm also a page poet in the way that i write Mm. um and i think it's you have to do both you have to live your words
0: that's fascinating you know having I, i i've written poetry. And I focused mostly on that. And I didn't do too many, like, creative writing workshops. Yeah. Um, but it, it never occurred to me as such a clear distinction to make the... And to notice that, you know, the page poet versus the stage poet. hmm That seems, like, so fundamental.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And because there's... A lot of people give slam poetry and stage po- po- poetry a lot of flack because mm. there's that performative element and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like you're just the words. But I think poetry is about life. mm And so in order to really grasp at the words themselves, you have to really live them and act them out and see what they mean in performance.
0: Absolutely. Oh, that is thrilling to hear. (laughs) Oh my God. You're knocking my socks off already. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, shucks. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) So with that in mind, you know, what what does it mean to you to be doing that?
1: To be doing that? Um... I think it means to be turning my everyday actions into something more than just actions. Mm. Because a lot of my poetry is autobiographical, Mm -hmm. and it is my life, and that's what makes it so vulnerable. And that's why I have a stage name. Right, right. Because this is my real life that I am performing for people. Yeah, and it's a very vulnerable thing. So I think that means to to live it.
0: Yeah. How do you... There, there's there's a whole series of politics that comes into the performative element then, I'm sure. Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah, like... Because I just competed in Louder Than a Bomb. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of politics that go into it, and especially with stage poetry. I mean, when you say politics, do you mean like how politics relate to poetry? Or do you mean like...
0: I think I mean both. both. I think I mean okay. more. Okay. It, it just Just basically that, you know, inevitably when you have social engagements, there's already political dynamics at play.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like when it comes to slam poetry, there's the backgrounds of the judges that you have to keep in mind. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of bias. And that's why one of my professors, Mark Turcott, shout out to Mark Turkot at DePaul. <laughs> um, he used to be a part of the slam scene, but he told me the story once about how he, like He's he's Native American, mm. and he was performing at a bar in Washington, D.C., which I think mm. was like a Redskins area, mm. like sports, sports-wise. That was like the name of their sports team or something. Right. and Or maybe it was Ohio. I don't know sports. Uh, yeah. I'm a poet. I don't know sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he made a comment about a poster that was on the wall for the sports team, and yeah. one of the judges uh, ranked gave him a three because he was a big sports fan of that team. And so there's a lot oh, of gross. politics that go into slam poetry, and it's about having... Yeah. I mean, your score really depends on the background and the receptiveness of the judges themselves. Right. And that's something that, like, if you get a batch of judges that just don't like you, then you're screwed. Yeah. And that's the difference between page poetry and stage poetry is there are numbers and points attached to stage poetry.
0: <coughs> so can you clarify for something for me here? Yeah. So with with some of the competitive elements, do you have you ever felt like in some of your performances you are focusing much more on playing the judge as opposed to just performing your work or is it some kind of like really like shooting the gap and synthesizing those two goals
1: i think it's about synthesizing those two goals i think your performance should be a performance in the way that you're living your words not in the way that you're acting them out Mm. and that's a big difference i see in some performances is you can tell when someone's acting their words yeah versus living them absolutely absolutely And So the best performances are lived words, right? It's your story It's your performance in the way that that's the way you performed it when it was happening Not just the way that you're acting it out now, right? Um, And so I think the best kind of performance is a mediation of those two things Mm. Yeah,
0: how do you mediate that?
1: Um, By one writing a story that's true to yourself. That's honest. That's vulnerable Mm. um, and then getting up on stage and just treating it like a monologue like this is my story mm-hmm. and I want you to hear it because I think it's important because it was important to me
0: yeah oh, and shit. I
1: think that's like you hear a lot of political poetry and I right. think political poetry that's on the nose is stuff that is about The personal experience of the individual rather than just broad claims about the general experience of a population Mm. and I think that's the big difference between some of the stuff that I write and some of the stuff that other people write is because I focus on only the words that I've lived Mm -hmm. and versus um, because you can only really write about your experience I think and Mm. be honest yeah but there's like some poetry that is about um, broader political experiences. And not to say that the, for, for a lot of people, politics aren't their life, because mm-hmm. politics are, is, there is no separation between politics and life. Right. The way you live, move through the world is affected by the politics of the world you live in. Right. Um, so you can't really separate those things.
0: Mm. Agree, agree, agree. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with some of the dynamic of the performance, mm mm-hmm how much, like... Because in my mind, you're not... You're also, as much as you are, like, reading, right? Or, or mem- like, kind of, you know, speaking what you've memorized. Yeah. There's also... A very physical element to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. You have to um, be aware of your movements, especially with slam poetry, there is a certain degree of performance with your body movements. Yeah. yeah. And people like act out what they're saying. I try to be as natural as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I do practice and I know to like keep my arms above my waist when I'm making gestures, otherwise they look like unintentional. Right. Those are things that I picked up. I was on speech team in high school. Oh yeah. And so those are things that I picked up from that. Um, and so that's why I treat stuff more like monologues and individual stories um, But yeah, I think movement is a very important aspect of the performance
0: mm. Well with this whole focus on, on change and bringing things into the world mm-hmm. the, the idea of movement and like paying attention to that in your performances. That's so interesting. Yeah Have you ever had the chance to do like a collaborative piece
1: I've never done a collaborative piece. I don't know how well... Because even when I was on speech team, I never did joint or duo performances. Mm. I always did my own performances. I've never like written collaboratively with anyone. Yeah. And I've never done a collaborative performance with anyone. I'd be interested in doing that. Yeah. I just haven't met someone where we've had the poetic chemistry. Yeah. Where we could actually do that.
0: I was going to say, that that's like a whole other layer of challenge.
1: Yeah, exactly. To, to like write that. together and to have those same ideas. You have to really be on the same wavelength
0: yeah there was so some of the work that i've been doing with motley mm-hmm. is uh i've been directing a special issue short copy so like special commission so i brought on like five people four or five people to work together and submit work that we agreed on a theme we agreed on some of the ideas we had a discourse about it yeah and that was really cool and it worked out really well um but it's it it, it, it was completely different than just putting the word out and being like okay hey, submit we'll see what submit, comes yeah. we'll see what comes here um, so that that was really interesting to play with, um, but as many opportunities as there are for that to go really well, I also have, you know, I've been in conversation with people who have had those en- encounters be really complicated.
1: Yeah, it's very difficult. I imagine not that I've ever done it.
0: You know, yeah. Well, right. Some, you know, I had this. I had this one friend who, unfortunately, you know, was trying to work with someone and couldn't figure out how to express himself without limiting her mm-hmm. perspective or to like be able to sit quietly in order for her to like you know do what she needed to do you yeah. know it was like there was the, its own it's it was its own language
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: in, in a sense yeah um but no that makes sense if it can work it's really exciting
1: yeah i would i would love to find a poetry partner to like work on stuff with that yeah. would be really cool so if anyone's looking for a poetry partner hit me up there
0: you go <laughs> there you go putting the word out yeah some of This is this is a related question now. So in as much as you've been doing page poetry and stage poetry, I also know you're an artist.
1: Sorta, yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Have you done you know, how have those different experiences with different mediums influenced, you know, your writing?
1: Yeah, so one of the first things that I realized—I I realized in high school—that I could bring writing into my artwork. Mm. I would do—I did a huge multicolored self-portrait. You might have seen it. I feel like uh, I my have. skin's blue because I'm a blue <laughs> yeah. person, and I have like gold hair because I used—I'm naturally blonde, so I used to have blonde hair. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I put a layer layer of acetate, which is just this clear sheet that's mm. like laminate over it, and then I would paint words on top. And they were very vulnerable expressions. Like yeah. one of them on my self portrait was last month. I tried to kill myself, yeah. and then I did a self por- a portrait of a friend who, whose parents were divorced but they lived together. Right. And so I wrote that, and like the words explained the expressions on the faces. Yeah. And so that was the first time I realized I could work my art into my poetry. And even now, like, my, like, I've made a couple chapbooks. Like, this one, I'm holding something up right now. (laughs) Um, Like, I collage and I illustrate.
0: Yeah. i got my little
1: booklets. And I try to find images that correspond with the words to just make it more of, um, less of a one-dimensional experience. Right. And make it more interactive. And, like, this one, How to Walk Through Walls, which is a project that I did for my, um... It was a class called uh, Urban Walker. Oh. And it was like a poet as Urban Walker or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was really cool. And we like would go on walks and we would write about them and we would use our experiences walking oh,
0: that's so to cool.
1: facilitate our writing. Oh. And so I made a little chapbook and I like collaged each poem um, and then I scanned them in and I have like the finished copy. Um, and so, yeah, I try to interact. It's hard to separate my art for me. Uh, for me, it's hard to separate art from poetry, and so they kind of go together really well. Um, so I've always kind of worked them together.
0: Mm. It's been, it's been interesting for me because I haven't, I haven't done much visual work. Most of the stuff I do is like academic writing or, or like kind of like a little bit distant, like cultural critique. Yeah. Because um, that's the background I come from with like literary criticism and philosophy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kind of tight-assed a little bit. You
1: know? <laughs> a Little uptight, yeah. <laughs> a little,
0: up, little uptight. Um, but I had my first experience doing visual art this summer with spray paint.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. And I had this, I bought like a, like a ceiling tile, just a, just a really thick, like, you know, half an inch thick ceiling tile. And then I just kept painting over it with the spray paint.
1: Just layers and layers. Just
0: layers and layers and layers of it. And it was really, really fun. And I, I found that some of what I was trying to express linguistically was coming out visually
1: neat
0: and you know i can't i can't say things i can say the letter red but when i say red and i mean the color red you know that's that's something else it's other a representation. than
1: representation right yeah. that's a
0: representation as language is inevitably right
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it was it was it's was, it was really fucking fun to like sit there and play with that yeah because i was just articulating myself in a completely different way so i i've had i've had a little bit of the distance between those two mm-hmm. mediums but I feel like if you're well versed in both they can they can provide some really interesting ground for working on the other
1: one of the things that i've been doing lately because i was a part of um femifest which is this diy yeah. all fem um art fest and music fest that was done back at kalawaki which is a diy venue yeah um shout out to leah and uh, like it was such a cool experience to be a part of yeah um, and one of the things that I do with my self-portrait because I originally painted it in high school but I'm still really proud of it and you know it's something that I made but each time I show it I edit it Mm, and I add more lines to it and I change it and I I add more color I add it because it's watercolor and pen Right. and so I add more color I add more lines and so the self-portrait changes with me over time that's so cool so each time I show it it's a different self-portrait
0: I've that that's so interesting to me I've, I've I've also felt that in writing, you know, you can you can you know you hear, you hear writers say this all the time where they can just you know edit the shit out of a piece for as long as they can. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you can sit there and make it a living work of art. Mm-hmm. And and that's just that's that's fascinating to me that you get the chance to to cultivate it as you grow yourself. Yeah. That's really exciting. I I missed FemmeFest because I was out of town. I was so pissed off. Yeah, about it was it. a
1: really cool. It was a cool cool experience.
0: God damn it. Do you know when they do another one? Once a year. Once a year. This okay. was the
1: first time it was, it's gone, the people who organize it are like freshmen at DePaul. And this is the wow. fifth year of it. That's Because they amazing. did it for three years in Iowa and then they just moved to DePaul.
0: Holy shit. Moved to
1: Chicago and they go to DePaul. And so they're like fucking pros. Wow. Really impressive, yeah.
0: Well, that's... Shout out to
1: the crew at Fama fest
0: Yeah, no kidding. Man. Oh, God. Now I'm all excited about it. <laughs> <coughs> I had, so I, you know, I wanted to touch on something else that we we'd brought up a little bit earlier, which yeah. was, you know, in considering some of the context that we've had with talking about, you know, your visual work as well. And in some of the experiences I've had with workshops, I had a professor tell me, and it was really fun, you always hear like little stories of like, you know, you hear like just a really insightful one-liner from a writing professor and it'll like stick with you it's, for years. Yeah. yeah. I, had, I had this professor tell me, it's like, okay, when you're writing and you feel a lump in your throat, you're doing it right. You need to you need to keep doing that. That's when you're really getting to it.
1: That's awesome.
0: You know? Yeah. It, it's 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 intimate, it's vulnerable, it's risky, mm-hmm. and it's 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 honestly kind of painful to like be articulating things that you don't really want to say yeah. out loud, but then you have to look at it and be like, wow, that's actually how I feel.
1: Yeah, and like there's things that I've learned to understand about myself. Just through writing. Mm. Um, I actually had a collection of poetry that I did last year called Cognitive Behavioral Poetry. <laughs> and so each time I edited the poem was me rethinking the experience.
0: Oh shit, that's so cool.
1: <laughs> Thanks. And so uh, I edited these poems like 14, 15 times. Yeah. And each time, it was a different perspective, a different experience, and I learned to understand. Like, I went through a really harsh breakup, mm. a couple harsh breakups with the same person. And each time I edited the poem, I learned to understand the experience a little more. Mm. And I came to terms with it. Yeah. Uh, and now I can present that to other other people in a relatable and understandable form.
0: That's truly marvelous.
1: And so, and I have that on my SoundCloud. It's like four poems that are all of, from the same approach.
0: Yeah that's such a cool project and and you know exactly because you have this this experience in in doing like performance mm-hmm. right and also reading it out loud and not having it, it be just the one dimensional reading it off a page like that's co- that's really cool that you have that soundcloud thing
1: yeah that, yeah cuz i feel like people aren't <coughs> At least on Facebook and social media, people aren't, like, stoked to go read poetry. <laughs> you know? Like, there's not... Unless you're a poetry person, right. you're not going to go read someone's poem. Mm-hmm. But people are more willing to listen to something. True. True. And it's more interactive, it's more personal, and you can hear my voice. Right. Which I think adds a whole other dimension to my writing that makes it more personal and it really exposes the intimate aspects of the poetry to listen to it. Right. And so people can go on my Facebook and click on, oh, I just recorded this thing, so go click on it, listen to it, check it out. Yeah. And people are more receptive to listening to poetry. Although ideally, I would have videos of me performing because I think right. people would be more receptive to videos of performances like button poetry right. that kind of thing
0: yeah absolutely i feel like adding some of these different dimensions gives some of the work a lot of a lot of texture you know it, yeah, it becomes like a different medium it. at the same time it
1: definitely does
0: uh so there's like different different kind of it's just a different context all of a sudden mm-hmm. but but that to me is that that's like almost like a postmodernist approach to it because you have <laughs> you have all these different like ways of approaching the same experience or same series of experiences, and then you have different ways of like reflecting on those. There's this, um there's this fascinating story. I can't remember the author's name. I'm gonna kick myself for this later. It's called Funes the Memorias.
1: Okay, I don't know it.
0: Yeah, well I have. This so I
1: can't help you. Crazy
0: thing called a laptop in front of me. Oh
1: my gosh, it's almost like we have the internet. Oh
0: jeez,
1: it's a fancy thing.
0: Yeah. Okay, I'm an idiot. It's Jorge Luis Borges. I fucking knew it was. <laughs> All right. Anyway, the point is. He has this fascinating story called Funes Memorias*, And, you know, he was one of those master storytellers where he can, like, he can tell, like, an entire lifetime in, like, a page or two. Wow. You know? That's an art. Yeah, it, it really is. And it, it's also, like, he you know, even the translations as translations are just impeccable. Um, but this, this story is about how this person uh, remembers every single moment of his life. And remembers the remembering of them, so it's one of those like very meta. Yeah, it's extremely meta, and so he like is remembering his entire life in his dying moments. But then it's like it takes that entire time of remembering that he's also then remembering. So it's it's like this compound experience, yeah. You know, and it it is just really complicated and fascinating Mm -hmm. on several levels. But to me, that was speaking directly to some of what we've already discussed here and how you you pin you pin a piece and you kind of can point to it and say okay i wrote this at this time you know for the sake of the archive here it is here
1: it is yeah
0: right but as a living piece and a living reflection it's never it's never just that inert thing
1: yeah And that's the beauty of editing is you can change the way it comes off on the page. Right. There's that first initial like if you look at drafts, like my first drafts Mm -hmm. are very, very different than my final drafts. One they're more developed, one they're more nuanced, but they tell a different story overall. And they tell a different experience. And so I think like my biggest advice to anyone who wants to write is to edit.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. That makes so much sense though.
1: I mean you can't edit one, you can't edit a blank page. (laughs) So you have to write something. Yeah. That's like my when I was a writing tutor at the writing center at right. DePaul, my first line was, you can't edit a blank page. You have to write something. We can work with something. We have to have a, a raw piece of material to work with, to start yeah. with. But you have to edit. You have to develop and you have to think about it and reflect upon it. And I think that's what sets me apart as a WRD major writing right. rhetoric and discourse versus an English major yeah. is I approach writing from a very pragmatic, very intentional perspective versus yeah. more literature, more storytelling, that kind of character development perspective. Absolutely. And so there's this different approach that I have and that's why I think that sets me apart and that's why I edit so much. Yeah. And that's why I have I have that background.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought your experience up in your education specifically because I also wanted to talk about, you know, some of the differences between how you and I have approached, you know, the writing aspect. Yeah. Because coming from like literature and philosophy, there's, uh, there's different priorities than with writing rhetoric and discourse. Mm -hmm. You know, and even with creative writing and some of these other ways of, of thinking, right? Yeah. So. What were some of the basic tenets that you learned from your education in WRD?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the biggest thing that you learned from WRD is to approach writing from an understanding of context, Uh, audience, and purpose. Wow. What's the room that you're entering? Who's in the room? And what are you trying to get done?
0: That's so direct.
1: It's very direct. It's very intentional. That's awesome. And so I think that corresponds, like, when I sit down to write a poem, I'm like, okay, what am I trying to say? Yeah. Who am I saying it to? Mm. And what is the context of what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Oh, shit, that's hilarious. That that I say hilarious because it's so different from the way that, like, as a literary, like, studying, like, literary criticism. Yeah. You know, there's this kind of when I was studying literary criticism it was like studying history basically yeah you know and almost from this like you know the point wasn't necessarily to write literary criticism to think about as directly like the room I'm entering it's to Mm -hmm. reflect on historical processes yeah and like large scale historical processes but with like some of the WRD it sounds like you know, it's it's direct.
1: It's direct. It's it's linguistics, it's technical writing. Yeah. When I explain this to people, like <laughs> aunts and uncles at family parties kind of thing, Oh yeah. WRD is the study of all of the writing where you don't think about who wrote it.
0: Wow. Oh shit.
1: It's not like, oh, do you read Shakespeare? Right. It's not like, oh, do you read this author? Have you read that author? It's how do you write? That's how do you a- get your point across?
0: That's such a funny distinction. And yet it seems so apparent. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So with that with that focus in mind, I can actually I can I can feel resonances of, of those priorities with some of the way that you've already talked about your writing. Because it's 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 immediate to who you are.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean I think I mean I'm one of the few people who came into DePaul with a WRD major and finished with a WRD major. Yeah. Normally people switch. Really? And like my department chair who I'm pretty close with um, well, former department chair. You yeah. know, I graduated. Right. Um, whoop, whoop. Yeah, I got my diploma yesterday.
0: <laughs> oh, man. What a what a feel, right? What
1: a feel, yeah. Um, but, oh, what was I saying?
0: Talking about your WRD. WRD. Uh, professor and thinking... Professor. Like, oh, shit. Isn't oh, that no. so funny? That's totally okay. It's
1: okay. I totally lost my train of thought.
0: That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. We were talking about... <coughs> Some of how people who come into WRD...
1: Oh, yeah, but like I knew that I wanted to do WRD from the beginning. Like Mm -hmm. when I was, this is one of my favorite anecdotes to tell people in interviews for jobs. please. So there's two. When I was uh, seven years old, I made a PowerPoint presentation on why I should get a hamster. (laughs) And I uh, had two hamsters after that. And then when I was 13, I wrote a paper on why I should get a cat. Wow. and now my parents have two cats and won't let me take them wow so I've always been writing and I've always been convincing and I've always been manipulating rhetoric
0: It's. <laughs> it seems like you're so good at convincing your parents to get pets that's <laughs> maybe it's just a reason.
1: reflection of my parents' willpower
0: I don't know I feel like no 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 because understanding perspective That's that's what it feels like yeah you know yeah
1: and understanding where they're coming from and being able to address their needs right and their wants
0: right and then, you know, when you're turning that back in on yourself and your art, you know, that, that in and of itself is just a fascinating gesture because then you're, you're, you're focusing on what you need and how you're expressing that. Yeah. That's so cool to hear. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, so I've, I mean, I started writing poetry, though, when I was in the second grade. Right. I wrote a poem about a snowman, and my teacher was like, this is pretty good. You should keep writing. And she's always been, like, a very big supporter of me and my writing. Yeah. Like, when I was in middle school... During um, National Poetry Month, which is actually this month, yeah, um, she would have me come back to her second grade classroom and like lead little workshops. Oh, that's so. And like read my poetry and share it with the class. And I have like a bunch of thank you letters from the kids still, like in my closet. That's Um, magnificent. But yeah, so she was always a big, a big um, aspect of my writing and a big supporter. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, so I've been writing poetry and I've been doing rhetoric since I was a kid. Wow. And so I kind of always knew that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. I'm passionate about two things. Please. Poetry and efficient communication.
0: The way you lay that out is so good. That's so good, Catherine. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Well, all right. So, so I also, you know in hearing some of your background and some of your experiences it's it's really cool because having heard your poetry evolve throughout the past several years yeah. i can hear some of these influences and recognize them mm-hmm. where where do you want to go with your work what do you want to do with some of those opportunities
1: yeah well right now i'm working on a manuscript and i'd like to enter it in some chapbook contests because yeah. i'd like to have a physical book that was not handmade right Um, that people can buy and like ideally eventually I'd like to see my stuff on bookshelves on stores, Mm -hmm. and be like yeah this is mine I wrote this and people want to read it call that self-absorbed but you know I, I write for people to listen yeah. Um and I would like to have videos of me performing on YouTube and mm. I'd like you know like button poetry on yeah, yeah. Uh, Neil Hilborn, Sarah Kay, that kind of thing. Ideally I would yeah. be doing slams across the country.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. So that's that's
1: my goal and now that I've graduated it's something I can actively pursue.
0: How are you taking some of those first steps and getting there?
1: Well, I'm going to open mics a lot. I'm trying to build up my SoundCloud. Um, I have moderate plans with my roommate to film me performing some of my poetry. Very cool. But um, I need to get, like, an actual person with a real good camera to do it. Right. Um, and working on the manuscript, honestly, is a big part right now. Just mm. having something published would be ideal.
0: Yeah. How? What goes into preparing a manuscript like that?
1: Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so... I'm not starting from scratch. I'm using okay. a lot of poems that I've written over the last year or two. Um, okay. So I, I have added additional poetry that I've been working on within the past month or so. Mm. But a lot of it is work that, I've, that I'm have that i proud of that I have had building up in my, my repertoire um, for a while. Um, so it's about compiling and collecting and mm. learning to tell a story with individual pieces over time. Mm. And it's about, like, I went to the library and I printed out, like, six copies of the manuscript and Mm. I reordered six different versions. Oh yeah. So I laid it out on the floor. Right. And I moved the pieces around to tell a story and to figure out which which piece should come first, which piece should come after what. Yeah. Um, and so I had six different versions of the same manuscript.
0: Oh, that's so fun.
1: Yeah, and so I would like read through and tell like is this the story I wanna tell? Is that the story I wanna tell? Yeah. So and I have drafts and drafts and drafts and editing Um, But I'm still kind of an amateur when it comes to actually getting a manuscript ready for publishing. Mm -hmm. I'm still doing research on that, like what it needs to look like, how to write a query letter. Like that's new to me.
0: (laughs) I don't don't know. I didn't know that was a thing, I suppose. Yeah,
1: like if you're sending something into publication, it's like writing a cover letter for a job, but it's like a cover letter for your writing.
0: Like introducing the piece, kind of like an abstract.
1: Yeah, you have to say like the name of it, what it's about, like how many words it is. Yeah
0: oh shit that's so interesting
1: yeah there's like a whole whole business behind writing poetry <sighs> and that's something I need to need to learn
0: yeah it's 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 been a challenge I think to come to terms with how much you have to or or like we have to like think about some of the business aspects of how to present mm-hmm. you know, artistic developments and creative opportunities, but then also how do you facilitate the actual art of it?
1: Yeah, and how do know? you retain the integrity of the art while right. subscribing to the business aspects?
0: Right, and people go into publishing to make money, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's a whole motivation behind that, but then there's also, you know, people need money to live in this culture.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, and so as a poet, you know, it's that careful, like, striking point between like... Art for its own sake versus art for livelihood. Mm-hmm. Staking your this is uh, for. Have you met Derek Peters? There's a couple people that I would love to like. Jen, no, Jen Lawhead, Derek Peters.
1: No, yeah.
0: There's some fun little nuggets, tell you what. <laughs> but uh, in some of the episodes I did with them in the podcast, we've talked about how, especially for young people, it's it's a whole endeavor to learn how to stake your art on your livelihood,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then your livelihood on your art. Yeah. Because that reciprocal process is is, you know, full of its own kind of, you know, bumbles and burrs.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: but it's it's a learning process. It's really it's really it's really fascinating, but it sounds like you're in the midst of it.
1: Yeah, and it's it's just starting for me cuz like I just graduated and so I'm trying to find a job, but I also want to be writing and doing my own creative life. Right. And how do I mediate between those two things?
0: Yeah fucking yeah (laughs) god I feel that yeah
1: because like I'm applying to this is what I've been doing lately is applying to jobs and then staring into the void yeah and then writing about it
0: there you go there you go that's my
1: life right now (laughs) and I'm losing my mind
0: (laughs) I can use this feeling this is good yeah oh man so so you know some of the last things I you know I it's, it's been such a pleasure to, like, you know, sit down with you finally. Yeah, yeah of course. Pleasure. Also, I by agree. the way, like, the first of many, I'm, I hope.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, of course, Austin.
0: Yeah, there's, you know, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. But, you know, just for the sake of people who are listening. Also, thank you for listening, everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening, <laughs> listening to us talk about poetry. It's well, it's an honor to have anyone, like, listen to what I have to say.
0: It's just so, so good to be here with you. So,
1: yeah.
0: Part of how I want to close is, is hearing about some of you know some of these other details about your work
1: mm-hmm. how,
0: how do we access it where where can you find some of it like what's on your mind with that
1: yeah no so I have a SoundCloud under Catherine mm. with a K which mm. is my stage name um, I also um, I have chapbooks available at Quimby's mm. um, I have two three three chapbooks available at Quimby's um, last time I checked none of them have been bought so like feel free to go rampage the store and find them in the back um, <laughs> so yeah I think it's pretty accessible definitely my SoundCloud I post on social media about on my Instagram so you can follow mm-hmm. me on Instagram Katherine with a K I try to keep my usernames pretty standard across the board um and I post when I'm gonna do shows when I'm gonna do open mm-hmm. mics as well um I don't have anything coming up right now that I'm aware of um well I'm doing the Motley uh pajama party
0: sure are yeah
1: I'm gonna be a featured reader for the Motley pajama party on the 14th yeah. at 7-Eleven. So yeah, definitely come out to that. I'm going to be reading that poem that you heard in the beginning along with some other new shit. I'll probably be reading from my manuscript. Um, so not necessarily memorized stuff, but still stage stuff.
0: That's so exciting. I can't wait to see you perform.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. It'll yeah. be good. It's it's such a good crowd. I love performing at Motley Things. Everyone's there for the art and it's just like a very receptive audience.
0: It's, it's, it's a good place to be.
1: Yeah, I agree. Sure. I'm, I'm very thankful for the the creative world that you guys have created and allowed me to enter
0: well we're just ecstatic to hear that (laughs) so you know thank you for being a big part of that yeah so well Catherine, with a k thank you so much for coming on
1: (laughs) yeah thank you for having me
0: absolutely to many more
1: to many more yes exactly
0: now the soundboard podcast has recently moved up to a weekly release schedule We will be uploading new episodes every week towards the end of the week, Thursdays and Fridays. And we've got some cool stuff coming out very soon. We've got some interviews with local musicians and local writers in particular. So I'm very excited to release those episodes. I want to extend a huge thank you to everyone who comes on the show, but in particular, uh, Catherine, for coming on and having this wonderful discussion with me. I also want to extend thank yous to Derek Peters, Evan Peters, Erica Gangware, Jen Lawhead, and everyone else who helps make this podcast possible. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I hope you are well, I hope you are warm, and I'm very excited to show you more of what's going on in our world. This has been the Soundboard Podcast on Motley Podcasting this has been a motley podcast production visit motleymag.net for more that makes you think feel and laugh